You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Isaiah says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings that covered their face and two covered their feet, and with two wings they flew. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. We serve a holy God. God is holy. He's holy. God is holy. God, we pray right now, help us to see you as you are. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Uh, I'm fired up. I'm fired up. For the last several weeks, we've been going through this series about who God is. We've been talking about the attributes and the characteristics of God and the purpose that we've been sharing these attributes. Beauty of God, first of all, we want to remind you that we serve a big God. But mostly, we want you to know and believe him. There is nothing greater than knowing who God is, but because to know him unlocks a life of purpose, power, and unshakable confidence. We want to be a church that is more than just a mere acquaintance with God but we want to be a church that is intimately knowledgeable of him and that we have a relationship with him. We know that knowing God is all. We often get caught up in our Enneagrams and our psychological profiles and our social status, but the reality is transformation does not happen because we know more about ourselves. It happens because we know more about God. It is only in knowing God that we find true peace and everlasting life. We have to know him and believe him because what you believe about God will dictate how you live. My sister Jackie Hill Perry says it like this. It says, she says, if you believe that God is the creator, then you will act like the creature. Yeah, if you believe, if you believe that God is all, then you will give your whole life to him. I think sometimes we get caught up in the sin trap and the things we think we're sinning because those things feel good. Maybe we're sinning because we don't believe that our body belongs to God. If you believe God is sovereign, then you'll surrender your plans to his perfect will. If you believe God is a provider, then you will trust him with your needs, knowing that he is faithful. If you believe God is the source of wisdom, then you'll seek his guidance in every step that you take. If you believe that God is your healer, then you'll approach him with your faith for physical, spiritual, and emotional restoration. If you believe that God is the way, the truth, and the life, then you will follow his path with unwavering faith if you believe. But if 
you do not believe that God is who he says he is, then you will appoint yourself to be God. We've all done it. We've all been guilty of doing things our way and thinking that we know better than God. It is that pride, that arrogance, and that ignorance that only comes from not knowing and believing God is who he says he is. When you know and you believe God, you know that he's both mighty and merciful. He's just and compassionate. He's wise and loving. He's eternal and personal. And when you really know him, you have a reverence and a fear of him. Yeah, there's a reverence and a fear when you know that we serve a holy God. Uh, we, we, get, we have some trepidation around the word fear when it comes up in the Bible. We usually think that fear in and of itself means reverence. No, they're two different words. The word fear in the Bible is a Hebrew word called yira. Yira is a word that means awe and trembling. It means I'm, I'm both excited, but I'm scared too because we serve a holy God. When you stand in the presence of a holy God, there is awe and trembling. My wife and I, we went on a cruise some years ago and we remember standing out on the balcony of, of our room on the cruise and we were looking out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and we couldn't see land at all. And we thought, this was beautiful, but this is scary because we can't drink all this water. We went to, the, to New York, we're at the top of this skyscraper and we're looking at the beautiful landscape of the city. We're about 60 stories up and we're like, this is beautiful. But the closer I got to the edge, ooh, this is scary. There's both awe and trembling. When was the last time you both awed and trembled God? I think sometimes we've abandoned awe and trembling because we don't fear God because we treat God like he's casual. I've heard people say that, you know, God is my homie. No, God is holy. Different word. God is holy. There is a healthy fear that is necessary when we are talking about and acknowledging the bigness of God. For some of you that have seen it, there's a, a series called Harry Potter, and in the movie, one of the main characters, people are afraid to say his name out of fear. You know who it is. I'm not going to say his name because he's not the point of this message. Not because I'm scared. But the whole point is they, <laughs> they don't want to say his name because they are trembling at his name. Even in the Old Testament, when we see the word Yahweh, Yahweh actually has no, no English pronunciation at all. It actually has no vowels. It's just the Y-H-W-H. The vowels came later. But the reason that in the beginning that the prophets wrote it is because they didn't want to mess it up. While they did call Adonai, call God Adonai, and they gave him names, but his name is You can't even pronounce it right. And that was for a reason because there's awe and trembling. The, and it's not even about the name, it's about who he is. In the New Testament, in Luke 17, somebody tell me if I'm wrong, but in, in Luke, when Jesus sends the disciples out and they come back, they say, Jesus, the demons trembled at your name. Your name has power. It, it wasn't the, just the name, it was that they knew who he was talking about. 
So there was some fear, there was some awe, and there was some trembling. We've got to have some fear for who God is. Proverbs 9 and 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The year of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 10 and 27 says, the fear of the Lord prolongs your days. It is the fear of the Lord that makes your life better because if you fear him, then you'll want to honor him in everything that you do. When you fear him, the Lord's way becomes the only way. In my house, when I was a kid growing up, we called it daddy said. For those of you that had that kind of house, you know what I'm talking about. Daddy said, what daddy said trumped everything. It didn't matter what you were doing or where you were going. Well, daddy said, we got to be home before the street lights come on. So guess where we were before the street lights came home? Home. Because why? Daddy said. No matter what was going on, it trumped no matter. You could be drowning. You better stop drowning. Why? Because daddy said. It didn't matter because daddy said, because we had a healthy fear of daddy. Why? Because we knew daddy and we knew what he was capable of. And when we obeyed our father, we saw the best outcome because we had a righteous, healthy fear. The fear of the Lord produces the greatest possible life that any person can ever live. There is no better life on earth than a life lived knowing and believing that God is who he said he is. God is holy. We learn that God is sovereign and, and God is El Shaddai. He's almighty and God is faithful. But of all the attributes, none is more powerful. None talks about the reality more than the fact that God is holy. Without God being holy, the rest of them don't even matter. God is holy. There's a weightiness associated with the term holy. For some of us, it conjures up uh, thoughts of people wearing dresses down to the floor, no makeup on. That was the religion that I started in, the denomination that we had as a child. Women, you weren't allowed to wear pants or makeup or even jewelry sometimes. My father comes from a generation where they couldn't watch TV or, or watch movies or even listen to secular music. But when we consider the word holy, we cannot first look at man as the example. We have to look at God. He tells us what is holy. So what does it mean to be holy? That God is holy. First, it means that God is set apart. He is different, he's unique, he's individual. He's not like anything else. Isaiah 46 and nine, God says, I am God and there is none like me. God is holy, which means he is completely separate. He is not one of a kind, he is the only of his kind. He's completely set apart from anyone and anything, anywhere in the natural and supernatural. God is set apart like China. Okay. You know how you have those dishes? You know you got regular dishes. You eat hot dogs on it, oatmeal. But you got those special dishes that only come out when special people come over. They're, these dishes are set apart. We call this the fine china. You didn't just buy these dishes at Walmart. 
These are special. They, these dishes may have even been handed down from generation to generation. They're set apart from the other dishes. They only come out on special occasions. Even when you're finished with these dishes, you don't put them back with the rest of those old raggedy dishes that you have. You have another place for these dishes to go. And I don't know how old some of you are, but we call that a china cabinet because it's separate. So I don't even want these dishes looking at the other dishes <laughs> because they're separate, they're different. So they're in a whole nother cabinet, sometimes in a whole nother room. Don't touch these dishes. Or maybe you're like this. When I was a little kid, my grandmother, my great grandmother, uh, they wouldn't allow us in the living room. Yeah. And in the living room, the, the furniture was covered with plastic. Because this room is different. It's not like any of the other rooms. You can't just come and sit in this room because this room is separate. It's, it's different than the other room. You can only sit in this room if you are invited and you are dressed up. And even when you did, you would sit there. If you sat there too long, you would start to sweat and then the plastic would stick to your legs and you'd be making all kind of funny noises. But this place was separate. Or maybe you're this person. When Tracy and I first got married, I didn't know that there were separate towels in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, she, she hung up these beautiful towels and they had a, had a bow on them and, and I'm wiping my hands on the towels because they're in my bathroom where I live. And my wife tell me, don't touch these towels. Why? Because these towels are different. These towels ain't for you. Wait a minute, I bought these towels. But they're separate completely unique and completely different. And metaphorically, God is like that. He's completely set apart from anything and anyone. Not only is God separate, but he's also transcendent. I mean, he exists above and beyond and independently from everything. He created all things on earth, beneath the earth and in the heaven, yet he exists above and independent from all of that. He is not bound by our limitations. He transcends time, space, and circumstance. God is above it all. And because he, uh, he's above it all, he offers a, us a perspective that is impossible for us to see. His transcendence assures us that he is in control, working beyond what we can see. God is transcendent, but he is also incomparable. He's incomparable. He's peerless. He's matchless. He's unparalleled. He is without equal. Isaiah 40 and 18, he says, to whom then will you compare, God? What image will you compare to him? Our God stands alone in majesty and power. There is nobody like him and there's nobody you can compare to him. In the Ten Commandments, when God is given the Ten Commandments, the first commandment that God gives, he says, ain't nobody like me and you can't have anybody in front of me. And then the second commandment he gives, it says, don't even try to make something that looks like me because you don't know what I look like. All you know is I'm a holy. I'm different than everything. Isaiah 45 and 5, he says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. God is set apart. He is transcended. God is incomparable. And God is pure and good. He is pure and good. Everything he does is pure. 
pure means he is without sin. He is flawless. Psalms 18 and 30 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. In God, there is no darkness. Everywhere he goes, there's light because he is pure. His pureness is not a quality of his. His pureness is simply a byproduct of his holiness. It means it's his essence. The way he moves is pure. The way he loves is pure because he is sinless. Because he is sinless, he is the only one that can break the chains of sin. He is the sin breaker. He's the savior, the redeemer who stepped into our messiness and brings us into his holiness. He's pure and he is good. He's not just good. Good is his essence. Everything he does is good. It means he's untainted. He's unmanipulated. He is good all the time and all the time. He's good. I'm going to say this, and I need y'all to help, this, help me preach this if y'all don't mind. I'm going to say, God is good, and you're going to say, how good is he? I need everybody on every campus to preach this thing with me. Y'all ready? God is good. I just feel like you could do a little bit better. I feel like some of the people at Ebor Temple Terrace and maybe at the Suncoast campus, they need to hear it again. So we're going to try one more time. Clearwater, are we ready? God is good. He's so good that he takes the struggles that were meant to break us and he transforms them into powerful stories of his grace and triumph. God is good. All oh, y'all messed it up the second time. We were doing good. We were doing good. We're going to try it again. Maybe you need some help from Land Lakes. God is good. He's so good that he orchestrates divine connections in the midst of chaos. He will put people out of your life and bring the right people into your life just at the right time, weaving a tapestry of support and encouragement. God is good. He's so good that he speaks life into dead situations. He breathes resurrection power into our dreams, our hopes, and our situations. Every situation that seemed lifeless, God breathes life into it. God is good. He is so good that he transforms our setbacks into setups for something greater. God is good. He's so good that he takes the detours of our disappointments and he directs them towards our destiny. He is not just interested in our success. He is invested in our significance. God is good. He's so good that he doesn't just meet our need. He exceeds our expectations. That's the kind of God we have. God is good. He's even good when you don't think he's good. He's good when he tells you no. He's good when you don't understand. He's good when you're confused. He's good when the dog dies. He's good when you get sick. He's good when you're hurting and you're in pain. He's still good. He's good. And because he's good, his holiness is the standard by which all things are measured. All things. He's good. I think sometimes we forget that because we sometimes treat God like he has the potential to sin against us. 
because we don't like what he said and we, we don't like what we read all the time and, 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 and we give God human characteristics. And because your mother hurt you or your father hurt you or, or the marriage didn't go well, you say God must be like that. And so we walk away. You'd be amazed at how many emails or DMs I've gotten from people that said, I used to believe in God until. I thought God was good until I didn't get what I wanted. Well, God is still good. Even when we don't get what we want the way we want it. God is not your Santa Claus. He's not your genie in a bottle. He is a holy God who is pure and good and transcendent and sovereign and he's for you. So in Isaiah chapter 6, it opens up, Isaiah is actually allowing us and he is inviting us into this awe-inspiring presence of a holy God. And consider this imagery for a moment. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated high on a throne. He's not just talking about positionally. He's not just saying that God is higher than everybody else positionally. He's, he's saying God is transcendent above everything. That's what I saw. And then he says, and I saw seraphim. Seraphim are these celestial angels. They are actually the highest ranking celestial angel. They're best described as flames with wings. Yeah, scary, right? If one of them flew in here right now, you'd probably cuss. <laughs> There'd be some awe and trembling. But in the presence of a holy God, they're nothing. These angels had six wings, two to cover their faces, two to cover their feet, and two to fly with. The reason that they're covering their face, that even though that they are the highest ranking celestial beings, even in the presence of a holy God, I can't look at you. Even though that I am living fire, you're still too bright for me. I can't even see you. Their feet are covered because I don't even deserve to stand where you stand. Even in the heavenly realm, there is this incredible humility. And of all the things they could have said to talk about who God is, they could have said that he is the El Shaddai. They could have said that he's the Alpha and Omega. They could have said that he is sovereign, that he's all-powerful, that he is omniscient. They could have said any of those things. But what they said in triplicate is holy, holy, holy. This is who you are. You are holy, holy, holy. The only time that we see in the Bible where something is repeated, where one word is repeated, where it's trying to get your attention. Jesus often says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, just to get your attention. But here, it's holy, holy, holy. And to get your attention, this, this means something. So the prophet Upon seeing the Lord in his holiness, he recognized his own sinfulness. He sees that even 
the angels are humble. Even these incredible high-ranking celestial beings are humble in the face of God. And he sees himself. And in verse 5, he says, woe to me. He says, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Woe to me. We find ourselves declaring the same thing. Woe to me, I am ruined. When you stand in the holiness of God, you are confronted with the reality of your own frailty in your own sinfulness. Isaiah stands in front of this divine mirror and he says, I'm ruined. When was the last time you took a look at yourself in the light of God's holiness? Yeah, we often look at ourselves in the light of other people. We, we say, I'm doing just fine the way I am. Why? Because at least I'm not a murderer. I'm, I'm doing just fine the way I am. Why? Well, at least I'm not a thief. When was the last time that you looked at yourself in light of God's holiness and not man's depravity? He says, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. The holiness of God is a divine mirror to your souls. It's the place where we cannot hide, where we cannot pretend in the light of his purity, our imperfections, our issues, our deepest thoughts, our problems, our sins, and our need for redemption and transformation are exposed. So exposed that in his presence, all we can do is confess. We cannot make excuses. All we can do is confess. This revelation of who we really are in the presence of a holy God is not intended to condemn us or to leave us paralyzed in guilt. It's actually intended to propel us and to draw us into the redemptive and transformative power of God's holiness. And it's amazing that God in his mercy provided a solution before we ever knew that there was a problem. Isaiah experienced this firsthand and, and in verses six and seven, it says that the seraph went to the altar and he took a coal from the altar and he placed it on Isaiah's lips. He takes a hot coal and he places it on Isaiah's lips. And this actually symbolizes purification. It symbolizes God's refining grace. It's a symbol that shouts out God's holiness doesn't push us away. It draws us nearer for divine cleansing. This is a reminder that God's holiness is not a barrier, but a bridge to restoration. Then in verse 8, after he's been restored, after he has been transformed, God asks him a question. He says, whom shall I send? In other words, who's going to be my ambassador? Who's going to go for me? Who's going to represent me? Because the holiness of God demands more than a passive ob observation. It calls for active engagement. 
Isaiah boldly responds. He says, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Because acknowledging God's holiness is an invitation for us to step into our purpose. Encountering God's holiness isn't passive, it's a call to action. God's holiness sets the standard for us, and that standard is countercultural. It's demanding that we step apart, step away from status quo. It calls us to walk into righteousness. It calls us to pursue holiness. It calls us to pursue our path of righteousness. He says, here I am. Here I am. Here I am is him actively responding to God's call in our families. Who's going to be the father that God has called you to be? Here I am. Who's going to be the mother that God has called you to be? Here I am. Who's going to be the student, the worker, the entrepreneur that God has actually called you to be? Here I am. In the face of God's holiness, there are only two responses, and that is worship and surrender. That's the only thing that's left is worship and surrender. There's a comfort in the reality that God is holy. Because God is holy, that means everything that is a part of him is holy. It means his sovereignty and his power is holy. His power is not prideful, it's holy. His goodness is holy. His purity is holy. His righteousness is holy. It's all holy. It's all set apart. It's all different, which means I can trust you. If it's all holy and it's untainted and it's unparalleled and it's set apart, I can trust you. I can trust you when I don't like it. I can trust you when I don't understand. I can trust you when it doesn't make sense. I can trust you when I prayed and my mother still dies. I can trust you. I can still trust you when I don't get what I want. Because you're holy, you're pure, and you're good. I can trust you. I know that you will not lie. You cannot lie. You will not waver. You are a solid rock. This year, our theme is that we acknowledge and recognize that we have a big God. We're believing that he is a big God and we're believing that our big God can do some big things in our lives. But the only way that we're going to stay focused in that perspective is if we remain captivated in the awe, and trembling of God's majesty, his greatness and his holiness. The only way we're going to stay in that perspective is if we continue to say, God, here I am. Here I am. Then and only then will our lives be a living testimony to the reality that encountering the holiness of God changes everything. He's a holy God. We're going to do what Isaiah did and worship and surrender. Because recognizing and acknowledging God's holiness is not passive. It demands an action. It demands an action. 
So for the next few moments, we're going to worship a holy God. We're going to have our prayer partners come down. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to get delivered. And we're going to leave here ready for whatever a holy God has us ready to do. I want you to stand with me. Nope, don't stand. Don't get up yet. Hold on. I'm sorry. Some of y'all are like, yes. We, we have our prayer partners down here because always we want to pray with you and for you. But I want to say this for anyone in the room that, that you're for the first time making the decision to give your life to God. For the first time to say, here I am. In the presence of a holy God, here I am. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up real quick. We've all been in the same place. There's only two kind of people. There's the people that have submitted to God and the people who ain't. And all of us at one point or another were the people who didn't. And we all needed God and we all still need God. So don't leave this place. Don't leave this room without acknowledging the holy God who is for you. His holiness is a bridge to your restoration. His holiness is a bridge to your redemption. This is your moment and it's the best decision that you will ever make. So if that's you, I'm just gonna ask you to slip your hand up and say, yep, that's me. I, I need to give my life. I'm saying here I am right now. I see a few hands up. I'm saying here I, I see you. Here I am. Now the next one is for the person that says, I, I'm coming back. I was there and I haven't been there in a while and I know I need to get back and so thank you for the message, Jesus, because you're talking right to me. That's, if that's you, say, yep, that's me. I'm coming back home. So here's what I'm gonna ask. Everybody that raised their hand, I'm gonna ask you to stand up and you come down here first because I wanna make sure that you have an opportunity for these people to pray for you. I know it might be seem weird and you're like, oh, I don't wanna do this all in front of everybody and everybody see me. You're gonna have to do it anyway. Because when you walk out of these doors, it, you, you're gonna be shining like brand new money. Yeah. Can, can I say this quick story and then we're going to be done and we're going to worship and pray and y'all going to come and rush this altar. And, and Moses was talking to God and, and Moses was on the mountain talking to God and God asked Moses what he wanted. And Moses says, I just want to see your face. Uh, of all the things that he could have asked for, Moses says, can I see you? I just, I want to see you. And God responds like this. God says, you can't see me because I'm too holy. Essentially, what God says, if I show you my face, you'll explode because I'm too bright for you and your flesh can't handle it. So here's what I'll do. I'll hide you in the cleft of the mountain, in the rock, in between two rocks in the mountain, and I'll walk past. My glory will walk past and I will let you see, the King James Version says, my hinder parts. What he means is, I'll let you see what happens when I have shown up. Just when I pass by, I'll let you see what happens. Here's what's crazy, you gotta read this story. Just because God had passed by, the Bible says that Moses' face was glowing, literally 
glowing. His face was glowing so much that when he came down from the mountain, the people were scared of him because he was glowing in the dark. That's what it looks like to be in the presence of God. There is a change that happens in you that no one can deny. So we're gonna sing this song together. We're gonna to pray. This is gonna be our prayer and our altar moment. We're gonna sing this song together. I love this song. So I throw up my hands and I praise you again and again. Why? Because all that I have is a hallelujah. And I know it's not much. I know it's not much. But I have nothing else fit for a king but a hallelujah. Come on, let's stand. Come on down to this altar. If that's you, come and be prayed for it right now. Don't let this moment pass. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.